0: Let me add my welcome. If uh, you're new or visiting amongst us, it's great to uh, have you join us. Before we have the word read, uh, a little introduction to what we'll be doing over the next five weeks. We're taking five weeks to delve into wisdom, taking time to grow and become wiser people. Uh, Wisdom, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's it's kind of the the practical edge of knowledge. Uh, As someone helpfully put it, uh, wisdom is recognising reality and living in accordance with it. It's recognising reality and living with, in accordance with it. You know, it we like wisdom because it's a kind of street smart in a way that perhaps book learning isn't. You know, we, in our culture, at least, we talk about things being purely academic, which is our way of saying it's irrelevant. Uh, and so we kind of disdain a little you know, basic knowledge. We, we, we you know, dislike those academics who live in their ivory towers and instead you know, we want the jungle of modern life and people speak to that. Uh, we do want wisdom, we value wisdom, um, the challenge is searching in the right place for wisdom. Uh, so that's why over the next five weeks we're going to be delving into the Bible's wisdom literature. So we will be looking at Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, one book a week. Um, you'll be you know, assured to know we're gonna, not going to read all 150 Psalms in a moment. Uh, it said we'll just look at one. Uh, now, I've been a little loose with the clarifications the, the purist would only have three of those books in there. Uh, essentially, wisdom literature is, uh, is the writings that are, I suppose, a bit disconnected from their historical context. You know, it's not to say they're not authentic and not historical, but there's a, a kind of timeless quality about these books uh, where it doesn't matter so much if you know the exact historical location. Uh, these are five books that recognise reality and help us to live accordingly with it. Why are we doing it? Uh, let me give you three reasons to hang on to and keep uh, excited about this, uh, this next five weeks. Uh, first is, uh, my hope is we'll become excited and enthused about the wisdom literature itself. I suspect those books are a, a treasure that's not so well known uh, to most of us. Uh, there's a website for um, one particular Bible translation, the ESV, uh, and it measures the popularity of books as people kind of hit on it uh, to, to read it. Uh, in relation to its size, it found out that uh, um, the New Testament letter of Ephesians gets four times the attention that Proverbs does. Uh, most of my Bibles, I've worn through a few in time, most of them um, get dirty and, t- and pages you know, fall out in-, in the back end, in the New Testament part rather than the front. Um, I suspect that's an experience for most of it. Uh, My hope is that as we look at one book a week, you'll be excited. You want to go and, you know, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest this part of God's word. Uh, Second reason, I want us to see really clearly that God speaks to the reality of your situation. yeah, the whole experience of your life and the wisdom literature brings it out really well. If you've ever worried that the Bible is a bit disconnected from your daily grind, uh, the wisdom books fix that. You know, they touch on pain and joy, uh, feelings and friendship. They, they talk about uh, work and sex and envy and satisfaction, all the things that kind of make for life. Uh, it's a reminder that God's word is both for this life and for life eternal. Um, last reason we're looking at it is my hope is we will have drilled into our minds what the heart of wisdom is. That wisdom is recognising God reigns. And living in accordance and obedience to him actually pays. Uh, So Job 28.28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil is understanding. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Have you got the theme yet? If we want to live wise, uh, that will only be by a deeper understanding of our maker and our saviour and our king. So how about a pray for us and then uh, Laura and Andrea are going to come and read God's word to us. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that uh, you speak to us and you speak to the reality of our situation and you reveal the reality of who you are. Father, we ask that as we hear your word read now that we would delight in it, uh, that we would love all your word that you would give us soft hearts that want to change and become more like you and start to treasure the things that you treasure. Uh, Father sustain us by your word Uh, help us to see where life is really found and we pray this for the glory and honour of your son the Lord Jesus. Amen. Laura is going to come and read to us first from Psalm 1.
1: The first reading is Psalm 1, on page 383 of the Pew Bibles. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Our second re- reading today is Colossians um, chapter three, verses fifteen to seventeen, and this can be found on page eight hundred and thirty-four. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. That the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Given a choice, where would you put the word wisdom? You know, let me give you some adjectives to bunch it with. Uh, Option A, calm, even-tempered, moderate and wise. Option B, emotional, passionate, fiery and wise. Where's wisdom better fit in your mind, you know? Calm, even-tempered, moderate, emotional, passionate, fiery, wise. So we've come to associate... The wise life as the balanced life. You know, the life of moderation. You know, keep to the middle way. It's wise to avoid the extremes. Uh, We've come to see that wisdom and passion are are opposites, even enemies. Real wisdom is for moderate people. I ran youth groups. I've run many youth groups. Uh, and lots of parents were happy for their kids to go along and have a little bit of Jesus in their life as long as they just didn't get too extreme, as long as you know, it didn't interfere with the things that mattered like you know, study or family or sport commitments, you know, as long as they kept a the balance. The path of moderation. You now, mo- Moderation and wisdom were two of Plato's four cardinal virtues. And I suspect our connection between the two owes more to Greek philosophy than it does to the word of God. So do you want to be wise? Do you want to have a wise life? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It will never happen while you keep valuing moderation over passion. That's the insight that the Psalms give us, that wisdom and passion actually go hand in hand. Uh, Psalms simply means song, uh, and there's a, an abundance of insights that we could draw from the Psalms. Uh, Luther spoke of the Psalms, and he said... In the Psalter, is comprehended most beautifully and briefly everything that is in the Bible. Calvin spoke of and said in the Psalms, there is nothing wanting which relates to the knowledge of eternal salvation. This morning, I'm going to just draw two features out. Uh, One feature by looking at the structure and then by looking at the style a little more briefly of the Psalter, how it's put together Uh, and then the style in which it's written. So first thing I want us to grasp is that wisdom is passionate obedience to the praise of God. And secondly, we'll see how wisdom is in bringing everything passionately to God. So first we see wisdom is passionate obedience to the praise of God. That's the structure of the whole book. So at first glance, I told you there's 150 of them. uh, These songs broken into five books. Uh, The division, if you read through, can seem a little bit arbitrary. Uh, It does, though, reflect Israel's law, the first five books of the Old Testament, of the Bible. And each of these little mini-books in the Psalms finishes with a praise. Now, we can't be too precise about the ordering of all 150 songs, but there are some features that are put there for us to spot um, Psalm 1 and 2, kick it off with a, a, like an introduction where we meet in Psalm 1, God's man, Psalm 2, God's king. Uh, so in Psalm 1, that's what we had read earlier from Laura. It's probably what you've got open in front of you, which is good. Um, we're introduced there to uh, the wisdom of passionate obedience. Yeah, the blessed life is for those who, in verse 2, delight in the law of the Lord. It's for those who meditate on it day and night. Uh, We've got to be careful there. Uh, Meditate uh, in the Bible is not in the eastern sense of kind of emptying your mind, but the much more kind of western sense of thinking over, over and over and over again. Uh, It's about engaging your mind. The person who is going to have the the blessed life is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Because in verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked perish. So what this intro psalm is trying to do is, is help us see that the whole of the Psalter, the whole, all, the book of, all the Psalms are meant to be a guide to life rather than death. That, that, that the Psalms aren't just for temple worship, they're not just for us to sing to God, they're actually a way for God to speak to us. And most importantly, from the very outset it wants us to understand life and happiness will never be found in the way of sin, in the way of rejecting God. Instead, true happiness actually comes from delighting in God's ways. Did you notice verse 2, it's vital talking about delight. It's not just who obey or who do the law, but they delight. You know, delight is that sense of, you, know, you don't do it because you have to, but because you're so convinced it's good that it's what you actually want to do. You know, it's not that the blessed life is for those who just obey the word of God, you know, dragging their feet, trudging along, you know, think teenager asked to clean up their bedroom. Yeah, sure, it's done, but, you know, with scowls and sullen looks and whinging and moaning. No, no, the blessed life is not found with belligerent submission like that, but rather in delight. Those who delight in God's ways, those who centre their living on him, those who are thinking about, meditating on God's ways all the time, Uh, There's a beautiful prayer we had in the 8am service where it talked about, and we prayed, that we would be running in the way of your commandments. That's just a beautiful expression, isn't it? It's not the kind of dragging my feet in the way of God's commandments, but I'm running in them, I'm going forward, I'm delighting in them, I'm loving them. It's the sense of, you know, not just, yes, I did it, but emotional passion. That is the blessed life. Yeah, and... If you follow through all the psalm structure, uh, there's a move from that kind of passionate obedience that finishes in praise. Uh, so broadly speaking, the, the first half of uh, the Psalter is dominated by, by songs of lament and grief and sadness, and the second half uh, by songs of thanks and praise. It's not exact, there's a you know, mixing up of them, but there's a, a feel. Uh, and again the first half is much more about individual songs and by the second half it's much more communal that you want to gather people together to sing you know, it's building a crescendo so if you skip to the back of the book of psalms move all the way up to 144 around that kind of area and you see how it all finishes up in uh, so I said Psalm 2 is the other introductory one. It's got God's King. Psalm 144 and 145, um, they kind of match with some more royal psalms. And then you hit 146. And these last five songs, which uh, some have called the five-fold flurry of hallelujahs. Sounds great, doesn't it? Five-fold flurry of hallelujahs. Uh, Psalm 146, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And if you read that psalm on, the song goes on to talk about praising God who, who provides so kindly and graciously. And then the next psalm, 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant, how fitting to praise him. And again, the song goes on. God has limitless power. He cares for the poor. He cares for his people. 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him from the heights above. And then he starts inviting in angels uh, and the heavenly host and the sun, the moon, all of creation to join in. Praise the creator and the ruler of all. Uh, 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. And this time the song goes on to talk about how he's a God of justice and judgment even. And finally, 150, we we read it earlier, we began our time together with it. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his acts of surpassing greatness. Once you know who God is and what he is like, praise him. There's a structure to the Psalms that's meant to show us the natural flow. You know, you go and start with passionate obedience and where does it end up? You end up in praise. It wells up. That if you actually delight in God's ways, then you want to speak of them and you want to sing of him. Lamenting your your sin and your grief and your suffering, that it gets overcome with joy and thanks. And you move from just doing it on your own to wanting to invite everyone in. Once you've seen the greatness of God in his ways, you say, come on, everyone, join in with me. It's a passion that that bursts out. what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us who want to be truly wise? Well, it means, first of all, we actually need to connect our passions to God's ways. See, we're all passionate people. Now, I know that we're not passionate in the same way. We all express it differently. I know there are people here who would itch to have their hands raised as we sing and others of us who, you know, struggle to get their hands out of the pockets. You know, we're all different people. There there are some who are uh, here, emotional roller coasters, and I know some of us are kind of more uh, emotional model trains, you know, just kind of going around this tiny little track without too much undulation. You know, we are different, but we've all got passion. And it's just foolish to have a passion for, for shopping or a passion for work or a passion for your kids' achievements or a passion for sport or a passion for whatever it is that gets you ticking that dwarfs your passion for God. We need to actually connect. The wise life is the one that connects passion to the ways of God. Now, that's the model of Jesus' life, isn't it? You know, I'm sure he was a great carpenter, um, he certainly was a great social networker and a, a, a great public speaker, but that wasn't his passion. You know, he didn't begrudgingly keep to the minimum of the Word of God, <laughs> he loved it. You can tell because in the most difficult moments, that's what he turned back to. That's always the insight about what your passions are, that when in hardship, what it is you cling to and hold on to. You know, in the time of temptation when the devil was with him, at the time of the cross, what's he doing? He's, he's reciting the word of God. He's meditating on his thinking. over. He goes back there. You know, even at the height of his popularity, when everyone kind of loved Jesus uh, before they killed him, um, John 12, what's he doing? As people are flocking to him. He says, no, no, I want to call for the Father to be glorified. It leads, this love of God in his ways leads to praise for his father. And he wasn't moderate, but he was radical because he was passionate for the praise of his father. You know, it's a life that lots of people have looked on in the Lord Jesus and said, what a fool. You know, shame of the cross. And that's actually an invitation he invites us to do, to follow him after him, to be just as passionate, for God's ways and his praise. You know, watch out for moderation in your Christian life. Because the wise life is passion. You know, if you've if you've been, you know, kind of going along trying to follow God half heartedly, you know, intellectually interested but you know trying to get emotionally a little bit distant, then you will miss out on the blessed life. You will live unwise. You know, if the passion that you once had when you first started following Jesus has dulled over time, then the blessed life will keep evading you. Uh, Jonathan Edwards tells this great story of uh, his wife, Sarah. Uh, So in 1742 we are. uh, She was so moved by a, a Bible lecture that bodily she was overcome. And so you know, she couldn't leave, she just had to stay and she was talking with people for another three hours. The following day she was still so excited by what she'd been hearing uh, taught in the word that she couldn't complete her daily tasks. Uh, later on when she was hearing about other people who were rejecting this kind of message, she was so overwhelmed with sadness she kind of had to be seated. Uh, later at church when they were kind of singing the praises of God, she was overwhelmed by, by the truth of what the, the, the hymns they were singing said, that, that she actually collapsed in church. And in recounting, um, I suppose, his version of Sarah's story, Edwards claims two things in particular stood out. Uh, I'll quote some strange language here. Um, a peculiar aversion to judging other professing Christians and secondly, a very great sense of the importance of moral social duties. In other words, she wasn't judging others, but in her built up this, this passionate delight in the way of God that she you know, moral social duty. She wanted to do what God wanted. Yeah, her strength fails her, failed her, he said, because of her great mourning for sin and a sight of the fullness and glorious sufficiency of Christ. That her sense of the glory of the Holy Spirit was such as to overwhelm her in both soul and body. That is, she wasn't just an emotional woman. No, no, no. It was passion for obedience to God, longing for his praise. She looked a fool uh, I suspect to many, like you kind of look around, someone who's collapsing in church, you think that's a little bit over the top, isn't it, surely? And you know, no, no, there's a wisdom there. Yeah, he drew this ultimate conclusion about what her experience was. Now, if such things are enthusiasm and the fruits of a distempered brain, let my brain be ever more possessed of that happy distemper. If this be distraction, I pray, God, that the world of mankind may be all seized with this benign, meek, beneficent, beatifical, glorious distraction. Beneficent just means being good. Beatifical means holy. Yeah, I know that the words aren't ones benign. It doesn't harm you. Yeah, I know they're not words we normally use, but you can see the point, can't you? you know, if only everyone will be just this passionate... For the ways of God may it fall on everyone because he understood that we have passion but we must connect it to the word of God if we are to live wisely. And so it means we actually need to foster that. You know, the wise person fosters that kind of passion. You know, Psalm 1 gives us the first stepping stone, doesn't it? You know, reading the word and thinking about it constantly. You know, that's going to give you the knowledge. So, you know, if you're not a regular reader of the Bible, um, don't anticipate that you'll become wise. Don't expect to become wise. But even if you are a regular reader of the word, the passion is not going to develop uh, until you start delighting in it, until you start putting it into practice and seeing that it works and it pays off. That is what's going to foster a delight in God's word. As Psalm 34 puts it, until you taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I've known too many people who, uh, I suppose, don't see the goodness of God's ways and what he teaches because even before they opened the Bible, they made up their their mind that they were going to just live moderately rather than passionately put God's ways into practice in their lives. If we're going to foster a passion and delight for God's ways, we need to read it and we need to do it. And we see it pays. Of course, the other key that the Psalms give to the wise life is the style of the Psalms. That we're not just passionate for God, but we bring everything passionately to God. Uh, the Psalms use poetry, not prose. And I know that's weird because we're not a poetic kind of people. Um, you know, advertising campaigns of 30 seconds is about our limit of, uh, of it. And aside from that, we're, we're prose people. Uh, but the Psalms are written to bring, you know, facts and feelings, not just facts. You know, we could prosaically uh, explain what the Bible is. So um, this is the AFES, you know, Statement of Belief's uh, definition of the Bible. The divine inspiration and infallibility of Holy Scripture as originally given and its supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Now, I want to say that's really true. That's a true observation of the Bible, but it's just dispassionate. You know, when Psalm 19 wants to explain the word, it says, uh, Psalm 19, verse 9, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, honey from the comb. Yet it's truth, but with passion. And the style of the Psalms is a model for you and for me that we can bring all our passion to God. For the wise life actually incorporates both the reality of God but also the reality of yourself and what your circumstances. is. You know, the wise life actually incorporates your emotions. And the Psalms invite you to bring them all to God. Uh, Some examples, we bring our shame to God. Psalm 32 starts this way. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord doesn't count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. If you read Psalm 32, what he goes on, he talks about the pain he felt when he tried to hide his guilt and shame. And so physically uh, he was overcome, he felt sapped of all his strength. Shame is a really powerful emotion. Uh, You know, you blush and you sweat. uh, Your mouth goes dry. You drop your gaze. The the nausea and the racing of the heart kick in. You know, shame, guilt—it's really powerful. And we are tempted that we should, you know, keep that away from God. That you know, there are some people who spend a lifetime avoiding God because they know they're not worthy. And the tragedy is, all the time, God saw it, sees it, and He invites us to bring it to Him, because only then will we get relief. Only then when we confess it can we have Christ wash it away. You know, bring our shame to God. Uh, But we also we can bring our grief and our grievances to God. Uh, Psalm ten begins with an accusation. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And if you read Psalm ten, it's kind of venting the spleen of the psalmist. You know, he wonders, why is it that there are arrogant, wicked people who don't even care about you and they, they get ahead uh, and, and others get downtrodden and God, you seem to do nothing. And, and he kind of wrestles through this issue with God. You know, we, we've all had those moments, haven't we, of wondering why life is unfair or why this happened to me. You know, what, why circumstances don't match our faith. And the Psalms say the wise thing to do is not have a stiff upper lip, but actually bring it and pour it out to God. You know, wrestle it through with him. Don't don't walk away from God and his people at the time you are frustrated and doubting, but go to him. A friend of mine has been mistreated at work recently, uh, basically work politics. Uh, others are getting ahead and he's falling behind. And it's not fair. But he loves Christ. And he's wisely rereading another great Psalm, Psalm seventy three, and he's pouring it all out to God because he knows God is big enough to deal with reality. But as well, we bring the good things to him. You know, we bring our thanks to God. Psalm 136 has a refrain. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. You know, every second line is his love endures forever. It goes on and on and on. Uh, you know, we have so much to the point where we want to give thanks. Well, don't hold it in. You know, go, do it. Uh, even further, we bring our praise to God. Psalm 92. It is good To praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord, I sing for joy at the work of your hands. See we don't just sing here at church because we've got some musicians with talent and they kind of need to you know let that out somewhere. It's because the greatness of God needs more than statements. It needs truth plus passion. It doesn't matter if your singing is not fantastic. It's never stopped me. You know, we sing, though, because our head and our hearts are brought before God. You know, The examples could go on. There's 150 psalms you could draw on. point is clear. The wise life never has periods that moves away from God. But in the hard times and the good times, always engaging with God, passionate for him, bringing everything to him. John Wesley spoke about his fear of the denomination he started. He said this, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I am afraid lest they they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold hold fast both to the doctrine and the spirit and the discipline with which they first set out. In other words, his fear was they become fools by continuing to have the structure of a church but to have no passion. Now, we want to be wise, don't we? Well, let's make sure that we hear the insights of these psalms and become people of great passion for the ways of God, that we might truly live the wise life. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we ask that you would work in us a great work to make us people who are passionate And delight in your ways. And may that flow over into praise for you and your name. Father, make us people who delight to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the things you teach us. And may we enjoy the blessings of that blessed life. And Father, we thank you that we can bring all things to you. And nothing needs to be hidden. Father, we ask that that we might live such lives that your son Jesus might be praised and glorified.